Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. Poppy's story feels incredibly important to tell, and I'm really grateful that she's entrusted us with it. In the UK today, it's estimated that one in four pregnancies end in loss during pregnancy or birth. Yet, loss is usually only talked about behind closed doors. Poppy has been strong enough to share her story, which includes giving birth to Daphne, her second baby, who was stillborn at 35 weeks. In speaking about the hardest days of her life, I know that Poppy will help other mothers who have lost babies feel less alone and she also shares some really valuable resources that can help any mothers out there who are dealing with grief. When you lose a baby, they're still your baby. They are a part of you forever and they never leave you. We hope that by giving Daphne's story a home, it in some very tiny way lets her live on. Today we have Poppy with us. Poppy, thank you so much for being here and agreeing to share your story. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's a fairly nice day after all the rain that we've had, so it's it's a good day, I think. So we like to start by asking everyone the same first questions. Please could you tell us your name, your age, where you're from, what you do in life, and please could you introduce us to the members of your family? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Poppy. I'm in East London in Walthamstow. Um, I'm married to a wonderful man called Leo, and I have three children. I have Felix, who is four and just started school uh, and is very cheeky. Um, I've got a little girl called Karis, who is 21 months, um, and she's very, very sweet. And then my second child, Daphne, was uh, stillborn in 2021, um, and she would be two if she was with us now. I am a celebrant, so I do weddings, uh, baby namings and funerals, and any celebrations, really. I officiate them, which is a very nice job to do. It's very special to be able to connect with families at some of the highest and lowest moments in their life and to be able to offer, offer my services and write them something truly special, really. Um, it's a lovely job. What a special thing to be part of. First of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. We're going to talk about Daphne. How did you and Leo meet? Well, we met when we were at uni. We met very quickly at uni and and dated all through uni. Um, and then it just carried on. It worked. We, we were very much in love and we were together for, I think, nine years before we got married. He, he proposed and I said yes, and it was all lovely. Um, and we'd already just discussed having children and babies um, and we both wanted to have our first child uh, in our late 20s, early 30s. And and we tried and it very quickly happened. We didn't think it would. We did that thing of, oh, should we just try and see and it might take a while? But no, it, it was within a month or so. We found out we were pregnant and we were very excited. <laughs> Gosh, that is quick. So was it was it a bit of a shell shock then that it happened so quickly or did it just yeah. feel like the perfect thing? It felt like the perfect thing, but it was just, we'd, we'd heard all of our friends who'd had babies have, you know, we tried for years, people had IVF. Um, and so we just didn't expect it to happen the way it did. But it, it did. And uh, yes, I found out I was pregnant uh, just before uh, my birthday party, which was 
not exactly great because then I felt very guilty about having a drink um, <laughs> um but it was a bit of a double celebration and I did then quit the booze after after the party so uh but yeah it, it was a shock but a good shock and it was definitely the right time in hindsight at the time I was a bit worried that mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't have started trying till we actually were definitely ready but no it was definitely the right time when you told Leo uh, what was his reaction Oh, he was so happy. You couldn't believe it. He just couldn't, he couldn't stop looking at the test. He was like, really? Like, you know, you see those videos on YouTube where there's like a guy reacting to a test going, no, no, really, did you draw this on in pen? It was a bit like that. Um, And then his immediate thing was like, well, you can't drink now. It's like, Um, just for one night, please. It is my birthday. Um, It's my birthday. Exactly. Um, But yeah, and the second thing he did was go, we need a bigger car um, and start looking at cars. So So I think it was like, very practical, very dadly reaction. <laughs> and then what were those kind of initial months of pregnancy like for you? Did you have the kind of classic sickness first trimester? Um, how did pregnancy pan out that first time with Felix? It was the simplest, easiest pregnancy. It was, um, I, I loved being pregnant. I, I wasn't, didn't have really bad morning sickness. I did it queasy, but nothing bad. Um, I had, a, I had a cute little bump that was nice and solid and firm. Everyone said how cute it was. Mm. Um, and I didn't have any symptoms apart from a bit of hip pain towards the end. Mm. I, and I genuinely loved it. It was it was a really lovely time and a time that I will treasure forever. It was a, a beautiful pregnancy, oh, I that's think. Oh, it's lovely. And did you, did you get that kind of second trimester glow that you hear about? Yeah, definitely. My hair was beautiful. I had so much energy. I was smashing it at work. Oh, it was brilliant. it was a yeah, it was a really really lovely time. Oh. And um I feel I'm very grateful to have had that as well. Yeah. Um especially now knowing everything that happened afterwards. Yeah. Um because it, it all changes after that. Um so yeah, Felix's pregnancy it was wonderful and I think I think it's really really special to me Mm, that time it sounds like a magical time and something to hold on to how clued up were you did you kind of prepare lots for the birth itself whether that kind of was physically or mentally did you attend any classes did you have certain expectations what were you where was your head at when you were getting towards the birth itself so I did I did the classic antenatal classes I, I and they were they were fine and I was a very Looking back, I was very, uh, I wanted to be in the, the birth centre mm-hmm. um, and do it all, you know, as beautifully as possible, um, have some fairy lights and, uh, you know, have someone rubbing my back and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I I was a bit in cuckoo land um, about what my pain threshold was. Because okay. uh, in my head, a baby would just be breathed out of me. It'd all be joyous and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a little bit worse than a period pain. Mm-hmm. Um but then obviously when you get to to the birth it's reality hits mm-hmm. um so I don't think I prepared enough if you'd have asked me at the time I'd have said yes I prepared so much I was so ready I had a birth plan with stickers on it and it was wonderful <laughs> and I got there and was like no, <laughs> no. <laughs> out the window no no not prepared at all I, I wonder if anyone can be prepared for for what you go through in birth to be totally honest you said you were imagining that kind of picture perfect birth center natural all of those things 
where did that come from? What were kind of the influences at the time that shaped that uh, picture you had in your head? I, I think it's definitely the company that I did the antenatal classes with. Um, I think had I gone to a different company um, who had a different outlook on life, maybe, mm-hmm. um, I think I would have been maybe slightly more practically prepared, even though they did cover everything practical as well. I think the person that running it had this very ethereal glow about them mm. um, and weren't and weren't very down to earth, mm-hmm. really, and made and made out in the classes things that I would now disagree with for myself, um, you know, about, you know, medications being bad, you know, never said outright, but just implied with the tone and the way they were glossed over a little bit in the classes Okay, that you kind of go away thinking the best way is the birth pool, the fairy lights, the, the birth center and everything else you've failed which is not true at all in any way totally agree with you and and so what happened on the day itself with Felix when did you realize you were going into labor and how did you go into labor it's a cliche I was 39 weeks and we'd invited friends around for a curry and a takeaway and they had two little girls and we just finished eating and we stood up to clear the table and they needed to get home to go to bed um and suddenly I stood up and it was like a film and it was what they say never happens my waters just gushed like no pain no contractions it was it was insane um and I was so embarrassed oh no even though I was because it was just so like I didn't know if I'd weed myself as well like I had this moment of have I weed Mm. um so I whispered in Leo's ear like I think my waters have broken and his face just went like just dropped and he was ushering the family out the door as quick as he could like pick up your toys kids off you go bye thanks for coming oh wow so you didn't just say oh I think I either have weed myself or waters have broken (laughs) (laughs) no I I was like I was I don't know why I was embarrassed either but I was I was just mortified that this could have happened like that because that shouldn't happen but you know we we checked you know the color and everything and rang the hospital once we realised that it wasn't we. Um, but because my waters had broke, uh, the clock had started. So the, the the rules on the NHS at the moment um, are that uh, if your waters break, you're susceptible to infection. So you've got 24 hours for labour to progress. And then they advise that you go in to uh, have a, a labour ward birth rather than a birth centre or a home birth so that you can be monitored for for infection and chivvy the labor along because the longer the baby isn't in its water the more chance of infection so the contractions then took till I don't know three in the morning to start and they were very light very easy going weren't proper contractions and so by the time it got round to the next day evening I was in labor I was contracting but I wasn't that far along okay so we we went into hospital and before we get to hospital, when you were going into it thinking contractions will be a little bit more than a period pain, what level were we at by this point? Had you realised that that was going out the window very quickly? Yeah, oh, it was horrible. It was more than a period pain and it really shocked me. I was in complete shock at how painful it was. Mm. And I knew that this was the start as well. And that was scary. That was really scary. This is only the start and... You know, you hear of people being in labour for days and this isn't even proper labour because they're not regular yet. This is just this is just the pre-show. We're not we're not even at the finale yet. I think that's something really we don't talk about a lot, that fear, 
because I, I mean, I can so relate to that, the, that kind of realization that you're at the very beginning and you do not know at what point it will end. That fear is, is overwhelming. It's, it's really overwhelming. And it's, it's hard to put into words and you don't want to scare new mums that are just about to give birth to say it's, it's scary. Yeah. It's hard, yeah. but it's going into the unknown. And I think that's where I know that the support of Leo was invaluable because he's very practical. Um, he's already bought the bigger car by this point um, <laughs> and, and got everything ready. Um, but him just saying it's, it's okay. You're, you're okay. This is, this is part of it. This is what we've prepared for. It's not, new it's not scary mm-hmm. we've, we've practiced this we've done the that's kneeling down and rubbing your back let's let's try it let's see if we can mm. work through this so he was being brilliant and keeping you keeping you in the room I guess and not spiraling yeah. in your head yeah exactly and he was he was so good at keeping it keeping it real and so the moments I had I had loads of wobbles I can't even remember how many where I was just like I can't do this it hurts too much and then it it and but looking back it didn't hurt too much I just didn't couldn't I didn't want it to hurt anymore yeah and I knew that it was going to get worse yeah yeah <laughs> and it, I was just scared but I think by the afternoon so having been in labor around 12 hours I'd got into the rhythm of it and I understood the pattern that was coming and I knew that I could rest between them mm-hmm. I, I was okay with it by then but it did take a while to get into that zone of okay this is happening whether I like it or not what's the best way of dealing with it what's the best way of getting through this and what actually helps with the pain is it this position is it having a massage no it wasn't don't touch me was the answer um what what is actually helpful some people try and watch films some people try and go for a walk what were you kind of doing all of that time I know that sounds really silly because you were you were in the thick of labor but uh, can you paint a picture of what you were up to yeah absolutely I watched a lot of films uh, not uh, not films actually I'm rubbish at films I lose interest but I watched a lot of tv um I watched series back to back and it was all tv that I'd seen before and comedies mm-hmm. um <laughs> so I watched the entire back catalogue of black book very funny um and but I couldn't tell you what was happening either I wasn't really watching I was just kind of letting it flow over me and it was familiar it was comforting um I went for a couple of walks like a mad woman in the park, <laughs> which were actually one of the best things I did. And it, it was Leo that persuaded us to go. And I was like, I don't want to. And he was, he said, no, I think we should, especially as the park's just across the road. So it was, it wasn't a long walk away. Um, Cause actually being outside in the fresh air really helped clear my head. Mm. Like having the contractions outside were okay. It didn't really make a difference to how the contractions felt, but between them, it was nice to be outside mm. and to have that fresh air and a moment in the sunshine to be able to go, okay, this is this is quite nice. Well done, Leo. Yeah, he's a good one. And also to see some normality that you, you get quite caught up in your bubble, which you're told to kind of do with hypnobirthing and birth, find your bubble. But I think I maybe was trying to find it too soon and seeing people walking their dog and kids playing in the park was actually quite nice in that early stage. Sounds very grounding. Yeah, exactly. It was very normal when you're going through this life-changing moment. Then we get to the following evening, you go into hospital. What was the kind of tipping point for you as to we need to go into hospital now? Uh, it was the 24 hours were up. My contractions were still really far apart um, in terms of they were 10 minutes apart um, and they weren't 
they weren't getting any closer. So we went in to get checked and um, they just said, it's it's not happening as quick as we like. We would like to talk about options with you and admit you in to have a birth on labour ward. Um, which, although I'd prepared for in on paper, you know, what if it doesn't go in the order I thought, actually doing it was a bit of a shock mm. and it really threw me. And I didn't, emotionally, I was in quite a sensitive place and I was like, I don't want this. Mm. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where you're you're told in classes you can make decisions you can go against the medical advice but in the reality of it in the moment who would yeah <laughs> when even though in your heart you're like oh i i don't want this i'd rather go home i'd rather do this bit at home and not have this interference you go well actually i i can't go against the medical advice because the what ifs start to creep in and that's that's just my personality and my my trust in medical professionals i guess that mm-hmm. They've, they've got the research in front of them and I haven't, um, which I know some people would disagree with, but that's that's kind of what I went with. So, yeah, I, I went on to Labour Ward. You said it was a shock. Was it the change that was the shock or was it actually the vision and what, what practically the Labour Ward was like that really then sat with you and, and didn't feel good? I think it was, it, it was the suddenly going from me being in control to feeling very much like I wasn't in control Mm. it's it's when you're on the birth suite or you opt for a home birth the 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 birthing person leads the way Mm. um and there's no cannulas there's no injections there's no talk of epidurals there's you know unless that comes from the mother whereas on labor ward suddenly it's the other way around it's we think you need this oxytocin drip. We think this, we think that. It's your decision, but we think this. And it's it's that role reversal. It's a totally different shift of power. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly you're not the one in control. Mm. Now, I know that's not true. You can decline things. You can say no. But when you're in a vulnerable state, it, it does feel like there's a huge shift of power. And it did. that's how it felt for me. And so you arrived, you go onto the labour ward, what, what were the next steps? What happened in the next phase, if you like? Yeah, so because my waters had broke in such a dramatic way and the, the tear that the waters had come out of was quite big, they didn't want to hang around and wait for labour to progress naturally. They wanted baby out before infection could get in. Um, so we agreed that uh, the, the I call it the fake oxytocin drip, um, you know, the synthetic uh, hormones to, to speed up labour, um, we'd go with that. So we did that and off we went. It was a gallop really? and the pain increased. Yeah, the, the, the labour didn't go quick, but the pain increased, the contractions increased pretty much immediately and it, it ramped up very, very quickly. How, how did you cope with that? Because, I mean, it gradually is tough. I, I, I went into my own little world. I just, because it was the only way I could cope with it. I, I couldn't tell you much of what happened mm-hmm. <laughs> for that whole time. Um, the only things I can remember were, you know, a, a very stupid little things that like I, I could tell you that there was a workman working outside the window on something mm-hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and but I, I couldn't tell you how long it was. I couldn't tell you what was going on because I just fell asleep in between contractions mm. and woke up and then fell asleep again because the the oxytocins felt like it took over. So I wasn't having to do anything. It was it was my body and the the drugs 
pushing the contractions through really and then I just slept in between them wow that feels like a real super skill you mentioned hypnobirthing were you using any tools from hypnobirthing to try and manage the contractions no uh, this labor no um there was a there's a little bit in the course I did but um I wasn't I wasn't using any of it um, and I hadn't done proper hypnobirthing with some like an extended course or practiced it ahead of time. I was using breathing techniques, but that that was it. I was using a lot of gas and air. I wouldn't put that stuff down. I think I was high on it. And I did have the, the pethidine injection. Okay. And how was that for you? Did that help? No, it, it didn't reduce the pain and it made me very sick. Ah, okay. And I was doing a lot of vomiting, <laughs> even with an anti-sickness injection. At the time, I didn't realise that. It was only later on um, when I was in labour with Daphne that I realised that that was what was making me ill the first time round when I had it again. But yeah, it was the pethidine that was making me very sick. And so gas and air the whole way through then? Did you did you try the pain relief as well or what happened next? I, I asked for an epidural and they said it's too late. You're, you're pushing now. It's it's yeah. So I, I by this point, I'd been in labour for 48 hours. Wow. OK. And the last bit of it, the last like 15, 16 hours were on the drip. So it was quite intense, that bit. Um, But I'm making it sound horrible. In hindsight, it wasn't. When I talk back over it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that really hurt. But it it never, it's not one of those labours when that I felt was a hard labour. Even after when everyone's telling their labour stories, I I didn't think, oh, that was a hard labour. That was a bad labour. That was, it it didn't, there was no trauma attached to it. There was, it. Because the end result was so lovely. The, he, Felix was a little bundle of joy. So there's, you know, I'm making it sound like a nightmare, but it, it really wasn't. It was actually a, a really lovely birth. Tell us about his arrival. Do you know what? I can't even remember the time. I've realised the more kids you have, the less you remember of like the specific details. But it was, I think it was around 6pm. It was later on in the day. And it was in June. So, and it was the middle of a heat wave. And he came out and... Oh my goodness, I've never felt such joy and love like it. Oh. He was so tiny and he was so ginger as well. Like, I couldn't believe I had this little ginger baby, being a ginger myself. Um, everyone said he'd have dark hair like his dad, but nope, here he was. And he was a boy because we didn't find out he was a boy ahead of time. Oh, magical. So it was really special and there was lots of tears. Yeah, so many tears. It's indescribable. That whole hour where we just were left alone by the midwives, the doctors, everything was just so perfect. It kind of wiped out the labour completely. It was just erased it. And I'd, I'd do it all again. Uh, <laughs> I did do it all again. It was it was completely worth it. Can you tell us a little bit about taking him home? What that was like? How you worked out how to look after this little bundle of joy and... When did you go, oh, yeah, we've got this. We can we can think about having another one. Oh, I never felt like I had it. No. <laughs> but it was wonderful. It was just like a big, it was just, it was just a big learning curve. And it was, it was hard. I don't think any new parent would say it was anything else but hard. But it was a joy at the same time. And there was lots of love, lots of laughter, lots of tears, lots of, is this poo normal? Is this baby normal? Is this illness normal? Lots of leaning over cots, checking their breathing. Um, but it was incredible. And it, it, it was life-changing in a way that I would never imagine. Like I just wanted a baby. 
I didn't realize what that was until I was there. I didn't realize the depth of love. And I also didn't realize how much love my mum had given me in those early days until I was there holding a baby. And it, I think it changed my relationship with my mum as well. You know, we've always had a good relationship, but it added a whole new layer, knowing that she did for me what I was now doing for Felix. Depth of love is such a lovely way of putting it and describing the relationship in both directions with with your mum and you with your child. It is. And I've tried to describe it loads of times to loads of people and I can never find the words. But it's just it just opens up a whole new yeah, depth. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And so when when did you then think let's let's try again? And did you get pregnant as quickly as you did with Felix? Well, we weren't trying. Um I found out on Felix on Felix's birthday this time or just after that I was that I was expecting again and it was a bit of a surprise. We thought we'd been careful, apparently not, but uh we were really happy. It wasn't a bad surprise. We were really happy. I think the only thing that we were scared about was that we were in lockdown. Yeah, it was in June of 2020, so it was just before the first lockdown ended, we found out I was pregnant. That that was quite scary, being suddenly in a vulnerable, especially with everything on the news that, you know, pregnant women are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very different pregnancy. It was a really different pregnancy, both socially, because I didn't do anything apart from work and play with Felix. We couldn't go anywhere or do much. Physically, it really took a toll on my body. Did it? Yeah, really different pregnancy. I I was tired all the time. I had really bad morning sickness. I ached a lot more. Mm. And I don't know how much of it was down to being a second child or the fact I was having to run around with a toddler as well. I was going to say, you know, you think pregnancy is tiring when you've got no other children to look after. But when there's a child running around, it really takes on a new level. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was really hard work. But it wasn't it wasn't a bad pregnancy. You hear the, the stories of women that can't get out of bed and their, their hips hurt so much they can't walk. But it wasn't an easy pregnancy. It, it wasn't it wasn't extremely hard, but it wasn't easy. Yeah, it was almost like a secret pregnancy as well, mm. because I didn't see anyone. No one saw me grow. until So I had to tell people on Zoom I was pregnant, like my colleagues and things. And so you could tell them quite late. You didn't tell them like because normally you think, oh, I'm starting to show. I'd better tell. Yeah. But you didn't need to as long as HR and your boss knew. Yeah. I didn't tell people so there were some people I never actually told just by accident and it you know we told all our friends on zoom you know our family saw the bump grow on zoom it was a very odd time it was a strange time in so many ways and then of course you've told us you terribly sadly lost her yeah I'm not I'm not quite sure how to ask you about that time I'm comfortable talking about it and happy talking about it because the more I talk about her the more she exists in the present day Mm. If you don't, if you don't talk about these babies, they don't exist. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this was that it, it brings them into the present day. I was thirty-four weeks pregnant, and and uh, I was I was still working, um, working from home, and uh, everything had seemed fine. I saw the midwife on the Thursday, and. I don't know why, but she'd come to my house rather than me going to the clinic. And we'd had the Doppler on the stomach and she said everything was fine. And then it was on the Monday, the Monday night. In the evening, I realised I couldn't feel baby kicking. And uh, I now know this is the wrong thing to do, but I did that thing. I thought, oh, what do you do when you can't feel baby kicking? You eat something sugary and see if they kick. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, and so I did that because you're like, I didn't want to, you know, cause a fuss or go into hospital unnecessarily when everywhere's like, you know, don't pester the doctors, you know, there's there's a pandemic going on, we're in lockdown. But no, there was no movement. Um, so I took myself to hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband stayed at home with Felix because uh, he was asleep in bed. It was around 10, 11 p.m. by the time I left. Um, and uh, I went to triage, um, said, you know, I've, I've not felt baby moving. And they didn't even look up from their paper. They gave me a pot to pee in um, <laughs> and told me to lie on the bed and then get the little monitors out, uh, the little circle ones with a strap. And they put them on and I could tell the to- the, the feel in the room went for, oh, it's another person panicking. Mm-hmm. Let's put it on mm-hmm. to, oh, there's there's nothing there. I could feel, I, there, nothing was said. There was no word said, there was, but there was nothing there. And I was like, oh God, please be a broken machine. Please be a, a broken something, just anything. Um, and they said, oh, I'm just going to get my colleague, new machine, colleague, nothing, different machine with different sticks on it. I'm going to get the doctor, got the doctor. And I, I, and it was by this point I knew, I, I knew already. I didn't, I, I, that no one needed to say anything, but it's, it was like a train still when they said, I'm really sorry. They didn't say any more than that. It was just, I'm really sorry. And there's a noise that I've heard since that I think any mother of any age to any child of any age makes when they're told their their child's dead. Mm. And it's like a howl. Mm. And it's and it I just I just howled. And I can't really remember anything else. Yeah. The only thing I can remember is they they kept me in triage just behind a curtain mm-hmm. and all I could hear a woman who was in labor go she swore and then I think that lady's baby's dead and then it, I howled again and that was that was it um I, and I, apparently I rang Leo but I can't remember ringing him and I was taken aside and um they arranged a taxi home for me and said to expect a phone call the next day to, to discuss the next steps. Uh, and that's it. And that was it. I'm so sorry. It just must have been indescribable for you. It was awful. I cannot, the whole week that followed was the worst of my life. Like every step of it was hard. And um, yeah, it was, you got sent home. And I think that was the weirdest bit, just going home to go to bed wait for a phone call the next morning when you knew you had a dead baby inside you and that you weren't going to feel them move. And yeah, it was hard and I didn't sleep a wink. Of course. And then we got the phone call saying, oh, you've got to come into hospital um, and meet meet with the, the specialist midwives who will look after you. Um, they're called bereavement midwives and... Oh, shout out to mine. They were incredible. They are incredible people. Sibylla and Rhiannon. Oh, love them to pieces. And they then look after you through the whole process. Um, But I think the other hard thing of that day was ringing our parents. So ringing my mum and Leo's mum and and dad to to tell them what had happened Um, and to hear their cries as well. It must have felt like reliving it. Yeah, it was reliving it, but it was also... 
knowing that they were in pain as well. It, it's really hard to describe. It was just awful on every level. And of course, you've got Felix at home as well. Yeah. Well, luckily, he was very young. He was really young. He was only 22 months, 21 months. And he as he got his Weetabix, he watched some telly. We put the telly on because it was just an easy fix, you know. And he was okay. And he was, you know, grandma came to stay. So he was happy with that. He likes grandma. He'd not seen her in ages. Yeah, it was, I don't think he got it. I don't think he understood, mm. which I'm quite grateful for, really. Because um, I can't imagine having to share that grief with a, an older child, even just a little bit older, say age two or yeah. or three. Yeah. It would, it would have been awful. You then have this phone call. Can you tell us about what, what that process then was? So what happened was I, I went into hospital um, and you discuss the options and it's like remaking your birth plan again. So you have to just make a new birth plan. Um, and the decision that we made was the, the, the way that's the most gentle on the body for recovery um, because you can have a cesarean if you want to, mm-hmm. um, but we decided to go into labour. Um, so the first thing that happens is you get given uh, an, an internal tablet to soften your cervix. And it's not the same as if you were giving birth to a live child mm-hmm. by induction. It's it's different because there's only the mother to look after. So it's I think it's a bit stronger. It's, it's, it's a, a very different medication. Um, and you go home for 24 hours while that works. Okay. So that was a, another weird 24 hours of just nothing. And then you go back in the next day and you have the next set of medication to bring on labour. And then you have a normal, a very weirdly normal labour. You, you, you start in a, uh, the hospital I was at had a bereavement suite, which has a double bed in it that looks like a normal bed, not a hospital bed. Um, it's got a fridge for you to take snacks and things. Um, it's got nice pictures on the wall. Um, and it's far away from maternity. It's it's connected to maternity, but it's far away, so you can't hear babies, and you can't you're not part of the the labour ward. But when you actually have your baby, you have to leave labour ward. So I stayed in the bereavement street suite while my contractions uh, picked up. Um, when the time came, they said to call them when my contractions got close together. I can't remember the timings they said, but you know. Leo was keeping an eye on it and being amazing. Um, you go to the, you go to labour ward, and it's exactly the same room I was sent to as the type of room as when I had Felix. And um, the only difference was there was no baby equipment. There's no resus equipment. You know, there's usually mm. all the, the the table with the lamp in case there's a problem. There's there's none of that. You're just it's just an empty room. Um, and you're given the choice. It to whether you want to hold your baby straight away and have them on your, you know, put on your chest like you would if they were living or whether you want them to be taken away and, you know, cleaned up and dressed before you see them or, or what you want to do. Um, and this is where every parent's choice is different. Um, but we chose for them to take her and get her cleaned up and to dress her. Um, because, I knew what it felt like with Felix and I didn't think I'd be able to cope. No. 
to have that again, but it not be real. Yeah. So that was, that was the choice. And then she was born. Um, so we didn't see her straight away. But, but the labour was quick and easy in terms of pain. I just, I had gas and air and I had pethidine, but I had the pethidine too late. And this is how I found out it makes me sick because I started throwing up way after the birth. Oh, right. Okay. In exactly the same way. And it made me feel very dizzy and sick. So I couldn't pull my head together. I just lay feeling dizzy in bed. When you have a birth that's early, whether it's a stillborn or a, a living baby, because your placenta isn't ready to be born, there's a high chance that you retain it. And it goes for like preemie babies as well. So my placenta wouldn't be birthed. So I then had to go to surgery to remove the placenta. That was weirdly okay. It was a moment where you weren't in that room. You, you, you had your spinal, you had your injections, you opened your legs, they sorted it out. You couldn't feel anything, you were numb. And then you go back to the bereavement room afterwards. But it was, it was quick. And that, I'm really grateful it was quick. Were you able to spend some time with her? Yeah, we spent, we spent a lot of time with her. Once we got back to our room and off labour ward, we, we, we had her in a cot. Uh, there's these amazing cots they have called cuddle cots. Um, and they're cold and they keep baby cold um, so that you can be with them. You don't have to, they don't have to be rushed away. Um, and they're all, they're beautiful. They're dressed in blankets. Um, and you get given a box. It's called a memory box. Um, and there's a few charities that do them. Um, and different ones for different religions, but that's full of things to make memories with. Um, so you can take handprints, you can take, the, the baby has name tags on them, you know, like a, like a living baby would. So there's a little book you can put the name tags in. It's a really nice little box. So we spent a lot of time filling up the box with everything. But yeah, she was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that time will mean everything to me. And I know some parents like to dress their baby and have big photo shoots with their baby. But we didn't do that. I was happy the midwives did that for me. I'm grateful to them for doing it as well. Because it wasn't the bereavement midwives that did that. It was just the midwife that happened to be on duty. So I know that's not a nice job for her. <laughs> so I'm really grateful that she did it. Thank you for talking about this. You talk so fondly of your bereavement with midwives how did they how did they help you and it sounds like you're still in touch with them how did they yeah help and support you so during the actual labor and that that process they take you through it step by step in such a way that you're not bombarded with information they take it through you with you so slowly and make sure you really understand what's happening and in such a compassionate way and then after they they arrange everything with the community midwives because you've had a baby you still have all the checks that you need to have with a baby but without a baby so i had to see the community midwives i had to have my six-week checkup at the doctors and yeah even registering the birth we had to go and register the birth at the registry office and they help you prepare for that and also get in contact prior with like the GP to say what's happened from a person, not just sending a letter that ends up with a receptionist that ends up in a pile. They'll 
they'll make the phone call. And it's them that also arrange all the things, if you'd like them, like post-mortems and trying to find out why your baby died. Um, another thing they do is that if you stay, well, we stayed with the same hospital and they then followed me through my subsequent pregnancy as well. So they were aware of what you'd been through? Yeah, and they were my point of call if I was anxious, if I was depressed, if I was panicking about something, they were a way to skip the queue and to talk to a real person rather than, you know, leaving a voice message on a community midwife's phone who didn't understand that not knowing the answer to this question, you know, was going to really affect your mental health. Sorry if this is is too much to ask, but did you did you want to find out what had happened to Daphne? And and if so, can you share that with us? Yeah, we we chose to try and find out what happened. And they warn you that in a lot of cases they will never know. Okay. So some people choose not to know, but I I need I needed to know if they could know, and I needed to know if the risk would be passed on whatever it was to to another baby. Um, and it was, it, it's not 100% conclusive, um, but they think what happened is my placenta stopped working properly. So baby wasn't getting enough oxygen or food or nutrients, which was really hard to hear because it, it felt like it was my fault. Even though, you know, you, you know, you couldn't do anything about that. It felt like my body had failed the baby and you have to then work through that. When did you then start thinking about Karis? Did it take a long time to to be able to think about a future and more babies? So when you get home, you, you go into like the grief pool. You're just, mm. everywhere's grief. You can't look past the grief. But on top of that, you have all the hormones that you would have because you've just given birth. Mm. So you have all the normal things happen to you that you'd have after you'd had a living baby. So you, you get the baby blues on day three, mm. bang on day three. Your hair starts dropping out at three months. Um, your your postpartum bleeding's the same. Everything's the same. And the hormones are the same, except there's no baby. So you're there and you feel like a new mother. It's really hard to describe, but there's no baby. And the way I reacted to that was, I need a baby. It's not, I want a baby. It's like, I need a baby. And... I, I spoke to Leo about it um, and it was a, only like a, a, a month or so after. I was like, I need a baby. I, I need a baby. I, I don't want to wait. I don't want to get counselling and then try. I, this is what I need and what I want. And luckily, Leo agreed there was no conflict of um, interest. We'd always, we'd always just been happy-go-lucky with our sex lives, but this didn't feel like that at all. But it did happen. And quickly again, which I'm very grateful for. And you said that with Felix, it was textbook and you said it was a very magical pregnancy. Having gone through the loss of Daphne, that must have weighed heavily, very heavily on you. It was the hardest time because I was I was still grieving. I was still lost in 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 that grief and the waves of grief would come. I was terrified of anything happening to this baby. Yeah, of course. Um, and... There, there was no, there was no safe point. I think there was no safe point. I know a lot of people say, oh, if you get to 12 weeks, you're okay. Mm. But there was no safe point. There was no, mm. there was no feeling of, oh, now I can relax. But 
and the anxiety was huge. They, I can't even describe the anxiety that came with it. It was, it was constant and it was daily, but I had a little boy to look after. Mm. <laughs> I had a boy mm. um, that, that needed me, that needed me to be present, that needed me to be a good mum. And I think it was him that kept me going through everything because, you know, I had, I had, I had him. There's, there's no time to sit and wallow when you've got a Duplo tower to build or, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, a park to explore. You know, you have to keep going. He was a blessing in every single way. And suddenly he became so much more precious all of a sudden. Like he wasn't just, he wasn't just a baby. I knew how vulnerable life was. I'd seen the dark side of life. I'd had the innocence of life being infallible taken away. And suddenly he was so precious and such a blessing that he was just an absolute joy. Even when he was tantruming, even when he was not sleeping, it didn't feel like a burden or a pressure. It was just, it was wonderful. It, 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 it changed my outlook on parenting a lot. But what I am grateful for is I was on maternity leave. So when you have a stillbirth, um, any pregnancy you lose after 24 weeks, um, you get, you're entitled to maternity the same as you would have if you'd have had a living baby. So I was on maternity leave, the weirdest maternity leave ever, maternity leave without a baby, but I needed that to be pregnant in. I don't think I could have coped with working as well. When you got closer to Karis's birth, did you at any point start believing this is okay? Or was it really when she was in your arms that you could have a sense of she's here and she's safe? The, the point when I thought I'm definitely bringing her home was the when I was in hospital um, and because I was being induced and they put the heartbeat monitor on the one that stays on you and as soon as I could just hear that heartbeat all the time I was like this baby's coming home this this baby is coming home we're on the final stretch tell us all about labour with Karis what happened tell us everything so I was being monitored very closely um because of Daphne um just to check that uh that the placenta was growing so I had extra checks on the placenta I had extra checks on her growth as well. Um, and then at 35 weeks, uh, again, the same as Daphne. Uh, Daphne was born at 35 weeks. They measured Karis and said she's not growing. She's not grown as much in the last week as she should have. And we think it's happening again. We want you to give birth now. We'd agreed with the doctors it was always going to be an induction at uh, 37 weeks because then you're full term. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was, uh, it was a hope to get there. Um, but I was just glad they noticed it and they said, let's push the button. Let's, let's do this. So we were booked in for the next morning. We arranged all the childcare, um, and we went in and it was great. It was a wonderful birth because I was, I just wanted to bring her home. It was eyes on the prize. It was, there was no, there's no dreams of a perfect birth. There was just dreams of a baby. And it was, it was a perfect birth because there was a perfect baby. I had the medication to kickstart labor at 10 a.m. with all the warnings that it might not work very quickly, that you might be in for days, uh, be prepared. But by 4 p.m. I was having like period type pains. By 7 p.m. I was contracting properly. And by 9, she, 9 p.m. she was in my arms. So it was really quick once it started. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. 
what was it like having her then on you in your arms? I didn't believe it. I went into a bit of shock, if I'm honest. I didn't, I couldn't believe it. The only thing I kept saying is she's so warm. She's so, there was lots of tears. There was lots of crying, lots of phone calls to grandparents and FaceTimes and unforgettable. And then you took your beautiful bundle home. What was Felix like with her? (laughs) He didn't care. He couldn't give two hoots about her. That's funny. We'd done all this preparation. Yeah, we'd done all this preparation. Nursery had been preparing him mm-hmm. as well. And um, it was all very, you know, <laughs> we'd been in the building. We're going to be a brilliant yeah. big brother. He'd got his big brother T-shirt yeah. on. And he just went, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hold it? No. Wouldn't touch her. Wouldn't even look at her at one point. Remind me, sorry, how old was he then when Karis arrived? He was two and a half busy in his own his own world yeah he was doing his own thing <laughs> he, he had duplo to build and and rockets to color in he was not interested in a baby but he he oh he loves her so much now he's not uh overly touchy-feely with her you know some toddlers and kids want to hold babies and cuddle them and look mm. after them but he's always really upset if she's not with us so if she's off doing something else uh <laughs> if she's 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 with grandparents or something he'll be like where's Karis? we need Karis with us can you tell us what a day in the life of your family is like now? Well, a normal weekend day usually involves a trip to the park on Felix likes to be on his scooter. Karis uh, has only just learned to crawl, so she's she wants to explore a bit. Um, she loves going on the swing, so going to the park is the number one thing mm. to do at the weekend. Um, generally, some treats like they they both love food, so going out some. So to a cafe or a pub is always a winner as well. Does that go all right with them being so little? I'm always a bit terrified taking two out to anywhere to eat. It, yeah, it goes well. I think we're really lucky where we live in London. There's more there's more prams than anywhere else in London, I think. It's very child-friendly. So all the pubs, all the cafes, all the restaurants are all very geared up to it. That makes a difference, doesn't it? It makes a huge difference. So the like, yeah, it's really easy as long as we stay in our little bubble and don't go too far. I love to end on a few quick fire questions, if that's all right with you. And to be fair, I have not prepped you on this at all. You don't know what's coming. So I know it might be hard to think of any answers. So feel free to skip or take your time or whatever. First of all, what has surprised you most about motherhood? It's hard. Like it's it doesn't get easier. Every stage is hard, but in a different way. Like starting at newborn, it's the sleepless nights. It's the not knowing what you're doing and then you get the hang of it suddenly they're a toddler and they're tantruming and you don't know what you're doing and then you add another one to the mix and you know what you're doing but there's too many of them <laughs> it's just every stage is hard and learning but it's it's so rewarding what is a baby hack like a tip or trick that you've learned along the way that's helped you oh that's a hard one. Oh, i've had so much good advice from people from from lovely mums around um I think just not to stress about anything. I know that's not a real hack, but just don't stress. Just if they're not sleeping, as long as you can cope with it, that's fine. Just if they're not eating, they're not. And as long as they're well and healthy, just don't stress about anything. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. That's a big one. <laughs> don't Google anything. It's Google's the, your friend and your enemy. Don't do it. <laughs> I need to hear your first bit of advice at the moment because we have ended up sleeping, all four of us in the same bed the last couple of nights. And I've got that voice in my head going, oh, God, we've got to get control of this situation again. Where, where, how have, 
how have we come to this and actually no I also really love it and it's I don't really care other than I feel like I should be getting them to sleep in their own beds do I really care I actually love cuddling up with them I don't really want to exactly just don't stress if it works for you and everyone's happy and healthy I'm not sure how much it's working for my husband but it's working for me (laughs) (laughs) and that's the most important thing (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure he'd say so Um, Okay, can you give us an example of just a really funny or a really joyous moment that you've had with your babies? They're so funny, both of them. (laughs) I'm only telling this because I remembered it yesterday. It was really funny. It was when Felix was, uh, we just had Karis and we went to the park for one of the first trips to the park. There was a farmer's market on, so Felix was two and a half. Karis was teeny tiny in in the pram. And Felix decided to run away, which normally is fine because it's just a big park. But with the farmer's market stalls everywhere and there was a huge stand which had scotch eggs on it, you know, all in a massive pyramid, these huge pastry ball things, whatever they are. Uh And he ran over and I don't know where he'd got this from, but he was shouting testicles and then grabbed the bottom one from the pile. And they all just started slowly (laughs) sliding down. (laughs) And it was... Honestly, I've never seen my husband run so fast to try and save all the eggs, stop the boy yelling, stop touching all the food that's really expensive on the market. And this like artisan craft baker is trying to oh save his dog. It was a nightmare. That was very perfect. <laughs> I mean, not at the time. But... <laughs> no, but there's nothing I could do. I'd just given birth. I was just like, I've got the baby. <laughs> just, just go deal with it. It's the fact that he's called <laughs> shouting testicles as he does it. No idea. Literally no idea what was going on. It was. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness! Just where was everything just going in slow motion in your mind? You going? No. Yeah. You could see it happening, and there was like nothing. There was yeah. It was only my husband's very fast reflexes that oh saved goodness. as much stock as possible. But everyone was in oh hysterics. How many Scotch eggs did you have to pay for? We didn't pay for any, luckily. Oh, that's it was kind. so nice. But now I, kind. I can't go on a Saturday to the park when the farmer's market's on. I'm just like, I can't, I can't do it. Hide my head. Oh, that's too much. That's great. Oh, Felix, that's brilliant. Okay, well, we're slightly switching gears here after that hilarious story. But I would love to hear, and for everyone listening, um, I'd love to hear who are the, the people or the organisations, or the the resources, frankly, who helped you manage with the loss of Daphne, who's helped you along the way. You've talked really fondly of your bereavement with midwives. Are there other people or organisations that you found really helpful as you manage this as a family? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is a very personal shout out, but my, my mate Sarah, like she's absolute diamond. Um, mm. And the way she listened and was always there and even once it all dies down everyone's always there in the moments but it's it's the times after and the checking in when everyone else had gone back to normal life you know I couldn't I couldn't have got through it without her she's incredible but um organizations um SANS is amazing they're the stillbirth and neonatal death charity and they support anyone who's gone through any type of baby or pregnancy loss so anything miscarriage ectopic pregnancy through to neonatal death and even SIDS they support with as well and they offer support there's local support groups and they they 
There is a grief chat. So if you don't want to talk to anyone, you can just type on your computer, like on MSN Messenger type thing. That shows my age, doesn't it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mine too. uh, But yeah, that's they're really good. Um, And Tommy's as well, Um, especially if you're pregnant again. They have an amazing app, which is like any other pregnancy app, except they've tried to remove all the triggers and keep it really practical Mm. and keep it really... Uh, easy and digestible and they also have a setting where you can say it which is if your baby was born now which you can activate after a certain number of weeks to kind of reassure you that if your baby does come early this is what will probably happen so you know Mm. you know that oh we've got past the point where they'd probably be in like a a big incubator with tubes everywhere we're past that point we're now at this point it's very very reassuring I wonder do you have any advice particularly for mothers who who experience loss? Is there anything you'd want to tell them? It sounds strange. The thing I tell them is it doesn't get easier, but it does get different. And so if you're in the throes of grief and you're in the the middle of the, the pain and the, the, the sadness and you feel like it's never going to end and you're never going to heal, I can't tell you you will heal, but it does get different and you do learn to live with the grief. And they, they never really leave you. They never, ever leave you. And reach out. That's the big one. Always reach out. Don't keep it to yourself. There's more of us out there than you think. Just no one talks about it, so you don't know. Well, and that's why I want to say a huge thank you to you, Poppy, because I feel like you're so strong to tell your story. I know so many people are going to benefit from hearing your story. So thank you. It's been a total pleasure for me. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that we haven't got to? We've talked about lots of things. Is there anything that springs to mind that we sort of just feels important to say that we haven't got to? I think the only thing I'd say is if you have any concerns in pregnancy at all, however early, however late, just don't don't sit on it. Don't sit Mm. back on it. Look after yourself. Look after your baby and just do the right thing for you and your baby. Mm. You you guys are so important. All the pregnant mums out there. Thank you, Poppy. And all the love to your family as you continue on your journey and yours too thank you that's the end of this episode take care and see you next time if you enjoyed this episode of bloom stories we would so appreciate it if you could rate review and subscribe Apparently, it will help other mums know that we exist.